Welcome to Living Waters Podcast. Whether you're a lifelong believer, someone seeking spiritual nourishment, or simply curious about the teachings of Christ, this podcast is for you. Thank you for listening and being part of our family. We're busy in the, in the, the book of Luke. We're, we're going through the entire book of Luke. We're in chapter 15 now. Um, I'm starting to pray, not that just that we understand it, that, but we finish it this year. Um, I just want to reiterate why we're doing this. What is the reason? And you should know this by now. The reason we're doing this is because there's a lot of counterfeit gospels out there in the world. There's a lot of lies. There's a lot of deceptions. And the only way for us to to go against the lies, to know what is not true, is to know what is true. And so we're systematically working through the gospel of Luke because we want to be acquainted with truth, with Jesus. And the beauty of it is you can't skip verses So the good, the bad, and the ugly is coming, all right? We take the blessings with the rebuke, amen? And and we commit to that because this is Jesus speaking to us. This is Jesus' heart for us. I want to read for us chapter 15. Let's do it. Are you ready? It is going to be on the screen as well. I'm reading out of the NIV. So if it's different from your Bible, don't be too worried. If you have questions about Bible versions, come talk to me after. Chapter 15, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country to go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls for his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents Jesus continued there is a man who had two sons the younger one said to his father father give me my share of the estate so he divided his property between them not long after that the younger son got together all he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living after he had spent everything there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need so he went to the higher He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And meanwhile, the older brother was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked them, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father 
father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother came, became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you have never even given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this incredible blessing we have to have your word. And today, God, we want to just submit to it. We want to learn from it. I pray that you will dig it deep into our hearts so that we are not just hearers of your word, but doers. I pray that we would commit to it so that when it challenges us, it is us that change to conform to your ideas, your superiority. Lord, I pray that every word I speak may be a blessing today. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this, this section we have here, Jesus tells three parables. And this is the first time that a single chapter really only has one main section. Since we started this, there's really only one section. Jesus is doing the same thing over and over. The lost and found idea. And the main thing, obviously, here is that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. This is, this is what he came to do. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. Now, there's, there's plenty of themes in this. There's, there's a lot you can teach here. And, and Jesus' practice here of sharing meals with uh, those uh, outside of respectable you know, people is, is front and center again. And this is especially interesting because coming out of chapter 14, we see Jesus was dining with the Pharisees, and now he's dining with the sinners. And we'll get back to that in a second. It's an important part there. And Jesus shows here again and again that God cares for the individual. Because we see that there's a lost sheep, so he leaves the 99 and goes off to the one. There's a lost coin, and he leaves. She doesn't count the other coins again. She starts counting the coins, and there's the lost son, and the father awaits him, searching for him, eagerly wanting him to come back. We see that God cares for that, but there's also a trap for us here. We live in such an individualistic society that, that we love being the protagonist of our own story, don't we? The center of attention. Most people, when you read the story of the 99 sheep, they believe, yes, I'm the one. Well, I pray to God you aren't. Because the one represents the unsaved, not the offended. Especially now. Okay. Now that you're offended. The one doesn't represent the guy that didn't like what Heinz said about the sheep and then left the church. That's not the one Jesus is talking about. The one is the unsaved. But we love being the center of attention, don't we? Now, I, I want to I say a couple of things here. And this is important. And this maybe is going to challenge our thinking just a little bit. God cares about us each individually, incredibly, and deeply. But not only. Not only. When we have this idea of I'm the one, everyone else is the 99, we set ourselves up for disappointment. We do. 
Because you are supposed to be the one celebrating with Jesus and seeking the lost. Not pretending that the church is supposed to run after you. You're not the one that, yeah, but I didn't get enough. I mean, Hunt should have, you know, had a coffee with me. Oh, now I'm I'm stepping in. I need to share those things in my heart now. Pastor's gloves is off here. But what happens is that that you set yourself up for disappointment, number one. Number two, you're going to miss the call of God on your life to go out and to seek and save the lost. You're going to miss your purpose in the church is not to come and sit every Sunday and listen. We come here because we want to be shaped by God's word. We want to be encouraged by God's word. We want to be changed by God's word. We want to be challenged by God's word. We come because we want to be corrected by God, face his discipline together as a church. But we come because we know God wants to use us in his redemptive plan for this world. You cannot read this incredible chapter of God's heart to seek and save the lost without reading ourselves into it, not as the one who everyone should run after, amen, but that we should have the same heart as God for the lost. If Jesus' heart is to go after the lost, so should ours. If that's his mission, if if that was such a big part of what he came to do, then man, it should be a priority to us. It should be a big priority to us. So there's, there's a lot going on here. And today, because there's just, just one section, if I can call it that, there's so, such incredible truth here. And, and unfortunately, it ends. This whole section on, on seeking and saving the lost ends on the older brother's judgment. That's, that's a tough one. The older brother is standing outside and... Rather than than enjoying, he wants to be praised for his own merits, wants to be seen. And we dealt with pride just last week, and and here we see it fleshed out again. It's almost as if Jesus had a plan in his teaching, isn't it? Incredible. But in the context here, we come out of chapter 14. Chapter 14, Jesus was eating with the Pharisees, with the religious elites, and he starts talking about the wedding banquet. You'll remember that, where he said those who were invited didn't pitch, so he, he invited everyone else. And the very next chapter opens with him eating with everyone else. He's fleshing out what he just taught. He's fleshing out that this is what it looks like. This messianic wedding banquet that I was telling you about. Look, this is what it looks like. And he starts mixing with the social and and religious outsiders. You know, the the hinds of the world. He says, hein, I'll come to your house. That's fine. I'm, I'm down with that. And it shows his heart here is that, that Jesus truly and utterly cares about every single person. Jesus truly and utterly cares about those people that you don't like at work. That that person that you have not said a good thing about in six months. Or a year or two, that that the time frame is is arbitrary. That doesn't matter. Jesus' heart is the same for them. Those who we redeem outcasts at the moment. When we say outcasts, we love going to those who have less than us, you know. We get that complex where we think we're better because we've got a bit more money. But there's people, there's people with a lot more money than, than we have that we deem outcasts because we don't agree with their points or, or, or they're unrighteous, so we don't want to get close to them. Those are exactly the people Jesus said we should be hunting after. 
And the beauty of his kingdom is that he so strategically works that he places us in areas of prominence. Now, I don't mean that to be just presidents and CEOs. I mean that even if you are a cleaner in the hospital, you have an inn at the hospital. Amen? That's an area of prominence. We mustn't think in terms of areas of, if you're not a, you know, the CEO of the hospital, then I'm sorry, you don't have any say in the hospital. If you're not you know, the CEO of your company or if you're, if you're just a student, do you know how much influence students can have in, church, in schools and in universities? I mean, there where you are, God has planted you for the purpose of seeking and saving the lost. Even those we don't get along with. Even those we, we struggle with. Even those we don't see eye to eye with. And then he draws attention to the danger of opposing the plan and the older brother. Let's quickly run through these. A hundred sheep would have been a lot, by the way. I'm just going to say. So he would have been a pretty wealthy person. So as soon as Jesus said that culturally, they would have understood. A hundred sheep is a wealthy man. Now I know there's a couple of skabure. So do you say it like that? Oh. I'm not a farmer. I say, help me, help me right afterwards, please. Ali Scarbura. Um, but but see, I'm, I'm from Cape Town, so if you want to know about skateboards, talk to me. Um, but a hundred back then would have been a, a wealthy person. So wealthy, in fact, he wouldn't have worked alone, by the way. He wouldn't have worked alone. He would have either had family or a hired hand to look after. Now, now this is a bit of a different perspective. So they would have known that he would have left the 99 cared for, but he deemed the one important enough to go after himself. And that's such a beautiful way that Jesus shows his heart that the shepherd was willing to go after himself. And this absolutely represents Jesus' mission here on earth. And then it says, as soon as he found rejoice with me. And there's an overwhelming note of joy every time throughout this whole chapter. We see again and again when the lost are saved or when the lost are found, then there's joy, there's celebration. This is something to be celebrated. I know we as a church like celebrating. Amen. We, we like those family events. We like the good times. We like the, the, the soup competitions. But if you think that is something we're celebrating, you see heaven erupting, not because someone won a soup competition in Sabi, but because sinners are coming to Christ. Because people that live far from Him is living close to Him. And there's an eruption of joy. And then Jesus says, over one who repents. Over one who repents. Now, repentance is at the heart of the message of John the Baptist, of Jesus, of the early church as we go on into the book of Acts. Repentance is front and center. Now, repentance, I know, this is something that all pastors will talk about a lot. You know exactly where this is going. But repentance is more than just saying sorry and saying the sinner's prayer. That's not repentance. It's a great step. Praise God for that step. But that's not repentance. Repentance is acknowledging before God that our ways, our thinking, our, our ideologies, our moral values, our, our ethics, it's flawed. And that we need God's in our life. It's acknowledging that our ways is flawed and that God's is better. It's acknowledging that we are sinners and that God is not. And repentance includes turning away from how we lived and turning towards how we should live so that there are 
fruit of repentance in our lives. This is true repentance. This is true repentance. We're going to get back to that in a second because the lost son is an incredible example of true repentance and, and living according to that conviction. But as we see in the, in the parable here with the, the lady with the coin, now, now it's not a matter of, I'll, I'll check in the morning. She, she left what she was doing in that moment. She might have been halfway through the newest episode of whatever you're binging at the moment. But she said, this is more important right now than, I don't know what you guys binge. Hopefully the chosen. Um, <laughs> anyway. And she stopped. She paused the TV and said, I need to light a lamp. I need to find the coin. There was a, a sense of urgency. She could have said, no, let's leave it till the morning. I will... We'll still first figure out when Jesus is going to come back, and then a week before that, we'll get busy. We'll get busy, you know? But we see here that, that this urgency in the matter of finding that which is lost should overwhelm us. And I really pray, let, let me be, I'll be up front and center with you today. I'm, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will break our hearts today for the lost. That we will get broken for the lost. Listen, you know me. I love theology and, and doctrines and, and I love teaching, you know, righteous living. That is, and it's important because Jesus said we must teach people to obey everything that he's taught us. We need to obey the word of God. That is what it looks like to be a disciple. And that's all good and well. But if we do not have a heart for the lost, we do not have God's heart. We don't. And my sincere prayer today is that the Holy Spirit would come and break our hearts for those who are lost, for those who are on their way to eternal damnation while we sit idly by and count the other nine coins we might have. We get to the next parable. I'm skipping over some stuff because I know you guys want some coffee. Praise Jesus. I want to go to the parable of the, um, of the lost son or the prodigal son as we know him. But, but this parable contains three main characters. As you know, there's the father and the two sons. But I, I rather ironically would rather call this the parable of the two lost sons. Because it features not one but two lost sons. One who is lost and found and one who was, was never gone but was always lost. Because let me tell you, those two are found in churches, even in ours. Even in ours. We first see here in the opening that, that the young son comes to his father and said, Dad, give me, give me my part you know, of my inheritance. And, and this is a big ass where your dad is alive. I would be offended if my kids come to me and say, Dad, what am I getting out of you? You know, well, not much, son. Um, how much do you like guitars? Because uh, I, I can give you that. But uh, no, praise Jesus. But, um, <clears throat> but the son comes and he basically says, Dad, I wish you were dead. But even bigger than that, and that's a big focus and it's an important thing because what the son's focus was, it wasn't on relationship with the father, it was on the blessing of the father. All the son cared about is what he could get out of the dad. All the son cared about is, is Father, what can I benefit from coming to church on Sunday? I mean, benefit from you as the father. What can I get from, you know, reading my Bible? I mean, my inheritance with the Father. 
What is in it for me, Jesus, if I was playing the worship team? What's in it for me? Now, now listen, uh, why, I'm so, why I'm so concerned about this is because it's easy to slip into the thinking of I'm the one and into this, what is in it for me? What does God have for me today? I've been saying this this entire year, a better question. We come to church not asking, Lord, I want something for me. We come to church saying, Lord, use me today for someone else. That is Christianity. Christianity is when we move past ourselves for the kingdom and the glory of God. That is where true Christianity is found. And here we see the younger son doing exactly that. Lord, I'm coming for my miracle today. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm stepping on toes. There will be something for you today. Praise Jesus. And if that was that, you're welcome to go make some coffee so long. But, but we see the son do that. The son takes his money and he goes from verse 13 to 16 and he just squanders it. He's spending his life on, life on things that don't matter. Now we like going maybe into the specifics here of what the son did, but ultimately what the son did is he, he gave his life to a sinful lifestyle. Now, now, for us, it might look different. For us, it might be, you know, the love of mammon and idolatry. It might be adultery. It might be any other thing. We, we can squander our lives because the inheritance didn't just mean what he could get financially. The inheritance was literally was saying, my life. I want my life. I want to live my life my way. And what he did is he squandered it on things that just don't matter. And he found himself down and out. And I think, I don't know why Jesus was so, if you think I'm harsh, um, John the Baptist, off the charge. But Jesus here, he, he tells a couple of Jews and he had to feed pigs. Now, now listen, speaking to a bunch of Jews, saying, you know, he ended up feeding pigs. This is the lowest of the low. Now imagine dirty jobs type 100, times 100. This is, this is something you and I do not want to touch. Like, but even if I touch the pig, I'll become unclean, etc., etc. And here Jesus is saying, hey, he hit rock bottom. But sometimes rock bottom is necessary for us to realize what we have in Jesus. It's amazing how something like a funeral can ignite your, your, your relationship with your family and friends again. Amen? When you have to bury, to bury a loved one, that's a time when, when you so appreciate relationships again. And then it just kind of fades away. It's kind of like when you first get saved, it's just, Hein, can we have prayer evenings every day? You know? Seven days a week, we want, we want to have prayer and worship evenings at church. We want to go for it. That's, that's what we want. And then in a couple of years, you know, like our church, we have, oh, now I'm going to offend people. I love you guys. I love you guys. But in a couple of years, the church will have worship evenings every first Thursday of the month. And the three people who are here on Thursday, bless you guys. Because the passion is dying. Because other things are more important. Now, I'm not saying you're going to miss salvation because you weren't at the worship evening. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's easy to lose our lives in carnal things and forget that which is ultimately, absolutely vital. For us it's easy but the son realizes he's away from the presence of God and we see this incredible example of his 
of his repentance. It says he came to his senses because he was senseless when he was wasting his life around and he came to his senses. And we see there's a complete reversal of his actions and his attitude towards God. And he goes back. He says, man, I want to be back in the house of the Father. And he comes in humility. He doesn't say, I want to be back because I want the microphone and I want to be the worship leader. He says, I will be a servant in the house of God because I'm a sinner. How beautiful is the humility of that repentance when he says, God, I'm okay if you don't even want to, want to call me son. So I'm not worthy of being called your son. I'm not worthy. Let me be a servant in your house because maybe, maybe I can repay you for this grace I've been shown. The son goes back. The father sees him coming. And the only reason the father would have seen him coming is because he was actively looking for him. It's the only reason he would see him coming. And he starts running towards the son. And the son is trying to explain and get through his really nicely rehearsed, God, you know, Father, I'm not worthy. And the father shows this incredible grace that we find in God. And he shows him, no, you don't buy your way into the kingdom. Grace is free. The arms are open. And he shows that, that this, this incredible invitation of, of coming back to the Father is there. This incredible invitation of grace, of mercy. God doesn't say, okay, first come sit. Let's first work through every sin you committed. You know, and let's just, come on, let's spill it here. All right, and tell the whole church, you know, so that everyone can judge. You know, the Father doesn't do that. The Father says, I see repentance and you find my arms open. Because that is what happens when we are repentant. We find the Father's heart, arms open. But in the background, the older brother checks this from afar. You will notice he doesn't go close to the house because he is just as alienated from the Father as what the younger son was. The Father goes out to him and he says, Man, you need to come in. You're my eldest son. I mean, he only got a third. Two-thirds are still yours because that's how it works. The, the elder, eldest son got two-thirds of the inheritance. So, I mean, you don't just have everything I have. It's double what he got, you know. Let's be honest because you've been faithful and there's blessing in that. Praise God for that. But he dishonors the father because he doesn't want to take his seat as he should have. And he disowns his brother by not saying my brother but saying the son of yours. Now, this would have left the Pharisees or us as well, listening into this to contemplate, who am I in this story? But I think a better question or a better statement here might be is that we all go through phases in our lives where we represent both. That, that we represent these characters of, of wandering away from God's glory and His authority, you know, where we think we're better and we think we know better. And, and I don't know how, how clever you think you are, but you're not as clever as God. Amen. That's just, I'm sorry to burst your bubble. He, he knows better than us. We have seasons in our lives where, where we might be joyfully seeking and, and, and welcoming sinners, but then we also have seasons in our lives where, where we feel that we're more deserving of God's attention and, and the pastor's attention because we've been so faithful in the church. How dare he waste his time out there with, with the sinners, you know? We have seasons where we're not so welcoming and that we have maybe the problem of pride that we dealt with last week and we don't humble ourselves before God. But the beauty of it is we see the father in the story react to the eldest son the exact same way he did to the younger. He goes out to him. 
He pleads with him, my son, come in. We have to celebrate. He received the same grace from the father as did the younger son. And that's the beauty of, of where we're at. These are, are challenging. And, and as you know now, I've been praying that, we, that our hearts are broken once again for the lost. But wherever we might find ourselves on this journey, that we might know that in repentance, we find the open arms of the Father welcoming us freely into His grace. And if you're there this morning where you're thinking, yes, okay, hon, I'll admit it. I, uh, I haven't invited someone to church in the last three weeks or four weeks. Oof. Well, let's be honest. I haven't invited someone to church in the last 20 years. <laughs> you know, there's this incredible promise that God doesn't meet that with judgment. He meets that with, oh, I'm glad you see it now. Let's do this. Maybe you're at the place where the younger son was when he was just started out. You don't, you don't have to go to the pigs before you go come back. just want to say that. Everything doesn't have to end in mud first. You, you can walk out the door and, and realize, okay, I'm walking the wrong way. And, and if there are some things in our lives this morning which you're thinking, I, I acknowledge now, there are some things where, where maybe I, I uh, didn't really submit myself under the king of, of kings, where I didn't really submit myself under God. Don't, don't go to the pigsty before you come back. Come back. Come back. Sing that song, Jesus, have it all full of conviction and say, there are some things that I want to resubmit to God. And if you're maybe in that place where the, the arrogance of the older brother, where, where you think you're more deserving of, of God's blessing because you've been so good, um, because you've been such a servant, you know, pride is the thing that God promises his opposition against. And that's not a place where you and I want to be. But wherever we find ourselves, because our position differs, but God never does. He's always seeking, always gracious, always loving, and His arms are always open. In our unfaithfulness, we see the faithfulness of the Father. Let's just pray together. Lord, I, I want to thank You That you are so consistent, so loving, so good. I want to thank you that if this is the heart of the Father 2,000 years ago, we know that this is the heart of the Father today. And Lord, in this, this church this morning, we have a lot of people with a lot of different challenges and places that we're coming from. But today, Lord, we have one common thing here, and that is that we know that the grace of God is available to each and every one of us. We know, Jesus, that your heart is to seek and to save that which is lost. And I pray that, that this morning that each and every one of us would have a new desire to see people come to repentance. To see the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrate the hearts of people everywhere. Lord, we recognize that what our country needs is not new politicians. It's a church that's on fire. What our country needs is not the arbitrary things that will anyway fall away. What our country needs 
is Christians who take up their place as the sons and daughters of God who march out of these doors with the same orders that we received from you, Jesus, 2,000 years ago. And that is to go and make disciples of people. So, Lord, we are truly and, and honestly, we're sorry about missing it. We're sorry for the times when, when we like being, you know, the protagonist of the story. We want it to be the one. We want it to be the focus. Help us, Lord, as, as Rick Warren wrote, to not just think less of ourselves, but think of ourselves less and think more of those around us. Help us have an urgency for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to, to have an urgency to see people come to relationship with you. Lord, we know that the, the harvest is ready. Now I pray, God, that you would call up the laborers so that we might reap that which is ready. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing time we've had so far today. And as we share a cup of coffee together, Lord, I pray that you would bless every conversation we might have. May we go with your presence as we go into this week in Jesus' name. Amen.